We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. We continue with Pastor Will as we see how we can love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, as found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Remember, Deuteronomy is split into two sections, the beginning section where Moses is recounting to Israel all that God had done to bring them to this point where they're about to enter the land, how God had loved them first. He's trying to show Israel that that this proves that God loves them. And so now Moses has been explaining to them what the proper response to God's love should be. It should be to love him back by being obedient to his commands. Obeying God is extremely important. Those who've placed their trust in the Lord and follow him want to obey him. Those two things coincide. They go hand in hand. But the motivation for such obedience must be love, not requirement. It must be love. Only then will we find joy in living out such obedience. And that means we need to know how to love God. We saw the first four ways that Moses taught the people how to love God. And tonight, we're going to learn the last four. I do want to recap. So we'll start in verse 1, and then we'll pick it up in verse 13. Moses says, now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. Remember, this is how we know God's will, how we know his heart, and how we know what his standards are. It says, which the Lord God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. That you might fear, that means to love what God loves and hate what he hates. That you might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your son's son, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, listen, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may increase mightily as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. So here Moses reminds them of the importance to obey God's law, that they need to observe there a couple times, and the idea is that you need to play close attention to be exercised care in these areas. And how did it make sure they obey God's law? Starting off by loving God supremely. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment. We need to love God supremely. That's how we're going to obey God's law. And how do we do that? Well, verse 6 starts off by thinking about God's word regularly. These words which I command you this day, they shall be not in your heart, we talked about, but upon your heart, close to you your heart. The second way was by rehearsing God's word to others. And verse 7 says, you shall teach them diligently unto your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign on your hand and they shall be like frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the posts of your house and on your gates. The fourth way that we obey God's law is by being careful to not forget our relationship in good times. Verse 10, and it shall be when the Lord your God shall have brought you into the land which he swear unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. To give you great and goodly cities, big and beautiful cities, which you didn't build, houses full of all good things, which you didn't fill up, wells digged, which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you didn't plant. When you shall have eaten and you're full, then beware. 
lest you forget the Lord that brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. If we're going to obey God's law, we need to, number one, love God supremely. We need to think about God's word regularly. We need to rehearse God's word to others. We need to be careful not to forget our relationship with God in good times. Number five is new tonight, and it's by not tolerating idolatry. Verse 13, if we're going to love God, we need to not tolerate idolatry. He says in verse 13, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. The word there, serve, it means to give your energy and devotion to God, in, to a God in religious ceremonies. So he says, you should fear the Lord your God and serve him. They should give their energy and devotion to God in their worship, not to the gods of the people which are round about them. They shall swear, he says, by my name. You're to swear by his name, Moses says. Now, the word there to swear means to enter into a binding contract. You make an oath and you enter into a binding contract. In other words, Israelis were to fear God, love what he loves. They were to worship him, to serve him, and they were to be held accountable to their commitments because he was the one who saw those commitments. This is opposed to loving what other gods loved or going to their religious ceremonies or making contracts in their name. He says, you shall not go after. It means to follow someone's lead. And you're not supposed to follow the lead of other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. You need to follow the lead of the Lord your God. For the Lord your God, he says, is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy you from off the face of the earth. God loves us immensely, immensely. He doesn't want us following the lead of beings who don't care about us because they are beings that don't exist. You can pray all you want to Allah or Buddha or any other number of gods out there. I promise you no one's listening because they don't exist. They're not real. Buddha was a person, but he's dead. He's not listening to your prayers. But the Almighty God, the living God, he hears our prayers. So we're to worship him. We're to fear him. We're to love what he loves. We're to follow his lead. You know, if we're going to make a promise, when I do a wedding, they say, you are promising before God and these friends as witnesses, and then they make their vows. If you're going to make a promise to someone, you do it with knowing the Lord is watching. You do it in his name. So I guess a good question to us is what's leading us about in life? Do we tolerate idolatry? Is Jesus the one who's leading us about? We are always going to struggle loving God if we're following other things. Always. Following the lead of something else or have multiple things that have our attention and our hearts, we're going to struggle loving God. You're going to struggle when you see a command from God in the scripture. It says, hey, this is what I love and this is what I want you to do. And you're going to go, that looks hard. Or, you know, I don't know about that. I don't know if that'll work. You're always going to struggle with the commands of God if you are tolerating idolatry in your life. Most of us here tonight probably don't have a little Buddha in our house or an idol to some other God in our house. An idol is anything that I value in my heart that takes the place of the Lord or rivals the Lord. We sang that song today, What a Beautiful Name, has that line and it's one of my favorite lines, you have no rivals. There's a sense where we're singing that because that's how it is, but there's also a personal sense where we should mean you have no rivals in my life. You know, you have no rival, you have no equal. You're not sharing time with anything or anyone. That should be what's in our hearts when we think about what do we worship? What do we serve? What do we swear by? What do we love? What do we hate? Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he talked about this issue when we have multiple idols in our heart. He said, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one 
and love the other, or else you will cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, we know in this case, Jesus contextually is talking about not worrying and trusting the Lord to take care of your needs, but mammon was an actual God. It was an idol in in Israel during that time. It was the God of possessions. It was the God of stuff, the God of things. And if you've got a rival God in your life, whether it's a hobby or whether it's a person or whether it's a career or whatever it might be, if there's anything that rivals the Lord, you're going to cling to one and hate the other. You're going to love the one and hate the other. You're going to cling to one and always be frustrated by the other. The Lord's going to be tugging on you. He's going to be pulling on you because he's a jealous God. He's not going to want you to give your attention to something that doesn't love you, can't help you, won't listen to you. And so you feel him tugging, but it begins to frustrate you. You ever been in a friendship that's very one-sided? It's hard, isn't it? We need to still befriend that person, but it's hard at times because you think this is very one-sided. And there is a tendency in your flesh and in your nature to go, I don't want to invest in this anymore because it's just, it's very difficult. I feel like it just sucks you dry. Well, that's what happens though when you feel that way about the Lord when you have another idol in your life. So the Lord comes alongside and he's like, hey, hey, I want you to spend time with the kids or hey, hey, I want you to hang out with your spouse or hey, I want you to go share the gospel with this person. You're like, ugh. And that is not how it's supposed to be. Remember what did Jesus say? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and my commandments are what? I love the King James. They're not grievous. It means it's not burdensome. When you think of something that grieves you, it's something that's hard. Like if you've lost somebody, that's when you think of grieving. Something that's painful, something that's hard. God's commands aren't meant to be that way. It's not meant to be, oh, I gotta go to church, you know. Oh, there's my Bible. I guess I should read it. It shouldn't be like that. There's my wife. Gotta love her. I hope you're not like that. I know when I feel that way towards something God wants me to do, I know I've I've got an idol somewhere. I've got something else I'd rather be doing. Some other thing, whether it's a behavior or whatever, something I'd rather be doing. Whether it's an attitude towards someone that needs to change. I'd rather not change my attitude. I'm just frustrated with this person or I don't want to bother with this person or whatever. Each and every situation, there's something there that is rivaling the Lord. And you're always going to struggle loving God if you're following other things. Well, verse 16, it says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Now, this is number six. The sixth way that we're going to learn to love God is by not doubting God's faithfulness to his promises in rough times. Here, Moses references a situation from the past. He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God like you tempted him at Massa. Now, the word tempt there, it means to attempt to learn the true nature of something. So to prove something or to put it to the test. Now, what's interesting is God urges us to test or prove him by trusting his promises, right? I remember the promise of Malachi where he talks about giving. He says, you know, if you test me, see if I won't pour out an abundance from heaven that you can't even imagine. That's something where God tells us to test him. And I think God does want us to prove his promises by trusting them. Because when we do so, then we learn that God is faithful. We learn more about God's nature. But God does not want us making up our own tests to figure out who he is. See, that's where we go wrong. Well, God, if you love me, bring me a boyfriend. Right? I mean, that's a silly example, but it becomes even greater. God, if you love me, you'd heal my kid. Right? God doesn't want us making up our own test to figure out who he is. A common atheist argument is, if God's real, then I call him to prove it by showing up right now. Well, first off, you'd die in that test, which isn't what he wants, so he's not going to show up. But second, he already came, proving it with miracles and a perfect life, but we crucified him. So if it wasn't sufficient proof then, it won't be now. As a Christian, I must be very careful not to make up my own tests for God. If you love me, you'll bring me a boyfriend. If you love me, you'll fix this problem. When Satan presented an unbiblical test to Jesus, the Lord responded by quoting this verse right here. You shall not test the Lord your God. When Satan told him, he said, hey, listen, man, the word says that he gave his angels charge over you that you won't even stub your toe against a rock. Why don't you jump off this temple and then prove to everybody you're the Messiah? That's what he says he'll do for the Messiah. 
And Jesus goes, no, 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 that doesn't work like that. (laughs) God tells us to test him with his promises that he's given to us. He doesn't tell us to make our own tests. We don't do that. We don't do that to try to figure out what he is or what he's like. Jesus said, no, you shall not test the Lord your God. Now, what's the example here? Well, Massa. The example here is given from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. So why don't we turn there and reference it real quick to refresh our minds. It says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So that's not good, right? Wherefore, the people did chai. They began to argue with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why are you arguing with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Now, he goes, You're arguing with me, but that's not the real problem. Your problem's with the Lord. You're testing God here. And so the people thirsted there for water, and they murmured against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So Moses cried unto the Lord saying, what do I do unto this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with you the elders of Israel and your rod with you smote the river. Take it in your hand and go. Behold, I will stand before you there upon the rock in Horeb and you shall smite the rock and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. So Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Just a miracle like that. Just as Moses did it, and it happened. But here's the point. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel. That's what those words mean, arguing or chiding or bickering or contending. And notice here he says, because they tempted or tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's the problem with this whole scenario here. God told them that he'd lead them by a cloudy manifestation of his presence, right? The pillar of cloud by day and then the pillar of fire by night, right? He already told them that that was him, that he was leading them as a manifestation of his presence. So instead of exercising faith in God's word, what he said, which to be frank, shouldn't be too hard because you can look over there right at it. Hey, I'm gonna lead you guys by this pillar of fire by night. You know, I don't know if that's real. It's right over there, dude. I mean, you could look at it and see it. But so instead of trusting God's word, which in this case was not very hard. They doubted it. They doubted God's word and they decided to create their own test for God by complaining. Is the Lord among us or not? We're not sure. Prove it to us, God. Give us water. That's the test that God doesn't want us to give. That's not good. See, when I'm going through difficult times, which Israel was, there's no water. That's not an easy time. That's a hard time. When I'm going through difficult times, I need to cling to God's already stated promises, not to make up my own test to find out what God's really like. God, if you love me, make me better. God, if you love me. And the list is infinite of what we say sometimes. We're not to do that. That's the equivalent of making my own scripture. God, your word's not good enough. I need my own. I need my own personal Bible from you. And I'm going to make the rules of how it works, what you're like, and whether you're real, and whether you care. When you make your own scripture, that's the equivalent of making yourself God. And that's the opposite of loving God. I ask you tonight, do you make extra biblical tests to see if God is who he says he is? If so, it's time to stop. Just follow the word. I did a Q&A for the young adults this week. It's always fun to do stuff like that. I always know I'm going to get two questions. One, can you lose your salvation? Because that's what everybody wonders. Or they want to know what you think so they can argue with you. Not that they were doing that. But secondly, how do you know the will of God? Two most common questions I get as a pastor. How do you know the will of God? What I was explaining to them is, you know the will of God by doing the will of God. See, that's circular reasoning, Pastor Will. No, it's not. You understand and figure out the unknowable will of God. For example, in here, like it doesn't say, hey, Will, do this, or hey, Will, do that. I want you to take this job, or hey, Will, go over here, or whatever. Like it doesn't say that. However, it says things that are clear and noble, like love your neighbor, you know, love your spouse, serve one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, be compassionate to one another, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. I mean, it has things in there that I can know God wants me to do. And I don't know about you, but I haven't figured all those out yet. Like those things that I already know that he's spelled out clearly, I'm still working on those. So when you start bringing on all the other stuff and going, oh, 
don't know about this, this, and this. That stresses you out. And the truth is, you're not going to all of a sudden get a magic new Bible that says, to will from God. Here's your own personal scripture. Why don't you make me some tests to figure things out? Find out what I'm like. No, that's what cults do. That's how cults start. We figure out the unknowable will of God by doing the knowable will of God. You know, this is the way walk ye in it. They asked Jesus, how should we know how to do the works of God? And he said, believe on him whom he sent. You're not doing the one thing he told you to do. Why are you worried about all this other stuff? Do the things it says here and you'll find yourself right in the center of God's will because he loves you enough that he's not gonna let you get off track. If you're saying, Lord, I love you with all my heart and I'm giving you everything, I wanna follow you. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna love my family, love my neighbor, love my enemy. I'm gonna serve you, share my faith, be in the word, apply it to my life. You think the Lord's gonna, as you all of a sudden start going off here with a job choice, that he's gonna be like, they're just stupid. He's not going to do that. He's going to lovingly do what you do for your child when they're wobbling off in the wrong direction. No, 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 don't go over there. There's glass over there. There's danger over there, plugs over there, slippery kitchen over there. The Lord's going to grab you and put you back on track. Now, the seventh way that we love God or how we love God is by not compromising God's difficult commands. Look at verse 17. He says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land, which the Lord swear unto your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. That word diligently keep, it's the same word as observe that we've looked at all throughout this chapter to exercise care, but it's doubled this time for emphasis. So it means to really, really exercise great care when you're doing something. You ever have special china that you bring out for holidays? When I was a kid, my mom would have the special plates. We would only bring them out for Christmas and Thanksgiving, and that was it. And when we carried those things out, she watched us every step of the way because this was her great grandmother stuff passed down to her grandmother to her mother and now to her. And her hope was for it to make it to us. She exercised great care. She was vigilant with it. And that's what this phrase here is referring to. Why is there special care to do the same thing that Moses already told him to do at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of this chapter to keep God's commandments? Well, verse 19 holds the key. To cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. One of the most difficult commands Israel faced was to drive out every last Canaanite who did not submit to the Lord. Talk about no compromise and attention to detail. How do you even do that? And then when you think about the fact that some of these guys are dug in deep, some of them, you know, it talks about the ones who are in the hills and some of them had chariots, which is the past equivalent of the modern day tank. Some of them were just very difficult to get out. It was a monumental task, but it wasn't hard for the Lord. They just needed to trust him and to obey his commands, even though they were difficult. Now, the sad part is that Israel grew complacent in this area and it ended up destroying them later on. You know, the Bible, it does have some hard things for us to do. It has some hard things for us. Maybe it's staying in a lonely marriage. I have people come to me and say, you know, well, my marriage is a lonely one. I say, my heart breaks for you, but that's not a reason to leave your spouse. It's not a reason to leave your spouse. Maybe it's loving a coworker who mistreats you. Maybe it's sharing your faith when it might cost you your life. But the Lord tells us to do it, doesn't he? Do you believe God's word is true at all times? It's not put to the test when it's easy or it makes sense. It's put to the test when it's hard, whether we really believe that. There are many times in my life when I'm frustrated with something or I'm upset about something or I don't like something that God has allowed into my life. And you've got to lay there and you've got to be honest with yourself. You know, Lord, do I really believe that your word is true? Do I really believe that it's right? Do I believe it's what's best? Because if you don't, you'll compromise God's difficult commands. Are you willing to trust that he can do incredibly difficult things through you if you choose to obey him in those areas? 
If not, then it means you need to let go of your concept of fair or hard and replace it with love for him. Your love for self is greater than love for him at that point in time. And that's where we need to die. And that's where every conversation ends with the Lord, with me at least. Every conversation where I'm upset about something or I'm frustrated by something and he's dealing with me and I go, I don't want to talk about this, Lord. And he's like, well, we need to talk about it. I prefer to talk about like, let's talk about the outreach of church. Can we talk about that, Lord? I would like you to bless the outreach of church. And the Lord's like, no, Will, I want to talk to you about this. And that conversation always ends the same way. Will you die? Will you deny yourself, Will? And will you love me? That's where the wrestling match is. It's Jacob's whole life, right? My way. No, I can get out of this. Finally, when the Lord touches his hip, he's got nowhere to run. Can't run anymore. He asks him, what's your name, buddy? It's Jacob. My way or the highway? My way. I figure out a way. Always find a way. Dirty, sneaky thief. Heel catcher. And the Lord says, not anymore. You're going to be governed by me. I'm going to be in charge of your life. Jacob, you're going to start loving me more than you love you. Every conversation with the Lord, when it comes to obeying him, whether I want to or not, it ends there, denying myself and loving him. The final way that we love the Lord is found here in verses 20 through 25. And when your son asks you in time to come saying, what mean these testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord of God has commanded you? What are they about? Why do we do them? Well, then you shall say unto your son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. When our kids ask us about Christianity, we could say, well, the Lord said so. Would we be wrong? We wouldn't be wrong. But Moses, I think, gives a better way to answer those questions here, and it's by sharing our testimony. And we do that by not starting with why, but to introduce who the Lord is and what he did for us. He says, when they ask you, why do we keep all these commandments? I mean, it's a lot. Why do we do them? This is the answer. Share your testimony. Then you shall say unto your son, we were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, but the Lord, you introduce them to the Lord. This is what the Lord did for us. He brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there so he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. You introduce who the Lord is and what he did for you. I love here it says, but it's the Lord who came in. We were slaves. We were bondmen in Egypt. But the Lord he came and brought us out. You tell your kids, I was a slave with no hope of freedom, but someone showed up to rescue me. It was the Lord. And how did he rescue me? By doing miracles. That's Israel's story, but it can easily be replaced with your story, with my story. That doesn't mean you necessarily sit down with your five-year-old and tell them about your drug problem or all the bad men you dated, but it is where you explain to them, listen, I was a slave to my sin, and Jesus showed up to rescue me by dying on the cross. You share your testimony with them. And yet, our testimony doesn't stop there. He shares not only that God brought us out of slavery, but that God offered to bless them, even though they'd done nothing to deserve it. He says, and he brought us out from that slavery, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. It's not only that you say, this is how Jesus saved me, but then you share with your kids how Jesus blessed you. Our testimony. When we sit down with our kids, why do we have to do this, dad? Why do we have to go to church? Why do we have to do this? Other kids are allowed to watch this movie. Why can't we? Other kids are allowed to go to this thing. Why can't I? You sit down with them and go, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you who I was, what the Lord did, and how he's blessed my life. So many times when my kids, and that's the best example I can give, struggle with their obedience to mom and dad. So I explained to them, I say, listen, I've been where you are, okay? There are times I thought my parents were crazy, right? There are times I think things were fair. There are times I, I didn't agree with their policy for the family. 
I said, but you know what? God honored my obedience and he blessed me for it. And I want to see God bless you. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to honor me because that's what God asks you to do. I'm asking you to love the Lord, not just to agree with what my policy is, to love the Lord, to obey your mom and dad, and to be blessed as a result, just as I've experienced that in my life. You're sharing your testimony with him. Once you've established the reason why is who the Lord is and what he's done for you, then you can finally get to the why they need to do it. Verse 24 and 25. It's not just because of what God's done, but he explains we do this because we love him. Why do we do this? It's because we love him. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. It's the Lord who commanded us to do these things, the one who loved us, the one who rescued us, the one who blessed us. He is the one who commanded us to do these things, to fear him, to love him back is what Moses is saying. That's what you tell your kids. You say, God who blessed us, who delivered us, who rescued us, he calls us to love him back and I do. Why do we do this? Because we love him. Because we love him. And you explain to him, God isn't doing this to make our life hard or because he likes to make rules. It says it's for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. God blessed us and he wants to continue to bless us. And so we love him back. We have this way of living because we love the God who loved us first, son, daughter. That's what you tell him. Don't you think that's a far more compelling response than God told us so? Don't you think that has more reality to it than God told us so? It may be as an adult that you've never heard of obedience put this way. You've never heard of obeying the Lord like that because of what God's done and because you love him. But that's the consistent teaching of the Bible. That's the consistent teaching of the Bible. We don't obey God to get to heaven. We don't obey God because terror of terrors will come upon us if we don't. We obey God because of how good he's been to us and because we love him. That's the consistent teaching of scripture. Is that why you obey God? You know, do you know how much he loves you? That's why Moses spent those first four chapters just talking about how God had done for them so that when he tells us what we should do for God, we have that basis for it. That brings us to the end of chapter six. But what's interesting here is when we talk about obedience, I think sometimes we make obedience and faith kind of enemies, like they're opposites. But obedience and faith are simply two sides of the same coin. You know, heads and tails look different, but it's still the same coin. Why are just two sides of the same coin? Because the obedience that God's looking for is synonymous with love. And that's, that's the basis of our faith too, right? Because we love him. Let's love God back because we trust him. And let's love God back in light of how he's loved us first. Let's exercise great care to do what he says because our desire is to please his heart. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.